A young boy I know recently went all Jedi Knight on my tiger lilies, which look pretty dopey with no bulbs. And that got me thinking about boys, and the relationship between boys and flowers, and boys and nature more generally. While I wouldn't draw further comparison between the protagonist of tonight's story and my young friend, the Lily Executioner, I will warn all of you who know young boys, I don't think they can help it. I think they think the flowers have gone to the dark side, so protect your flora. Good evening. It's Wednesday, the 1st of July, 2009, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. Hollow by Brice Pancake Hunched on his knees in the three-foot seam, Buddy was lost in the rhythm of the truck mine's relay, the glitter of coal and sandstone in his cap light, the setting and lifting and pouring. This was nothing like the real mine, no deep tunnels or man-trips, only the setting, lifting, pouring, only the light flash from caps in the relay. In the pace he daydreamed his father lowering him into the cistern. Many summers ago he touched the cool tile walls, felt the moist air from the water below, heard the pulley squeak in the circle of blue above. The bucket tin buckled under his tiny feet, and he began to cry. His father hauled him up. That's the way we do it, he laughed, carrying Buddy to the house. But that came before everything, before they moved from the ridge, before the big mine closed, before welfare. Down the relay the men were quiet, and Buddy wondered if they thought of stupid things. From where he squatted he could see the grey grin of light at the mouth, the march wind spraying dust into little clouds. The half-ton cart was full, and the last man in the relay shoved it toward the chute on two-by-four tracks. Take a break, came from the opening and as Buddy set his shovel aside, he saw his cousin Curtis start through the mouth. He was dragging a poplar post behind him as he crawled past the relay toward the face. Buddy watched while Curtis worked the post upright. It was too short and Curtis hammered wedges in to tighten the fit. Got it? Buddy asked. Hell no, but she looks real pretty. Estep, Buddy's front man, grunted a laugh. Damn seams getting too deep. Ain't nothing but coal in this here hole. When we gonna hit gold? Buddy felt Estep's cap light on his face and turned toward it. Estep was grinning 
a purple fight cut oozing through the dust and sweat on his cheek. Chew? Estip held out his pouch and Buddy took three fingers before they leaned against each other back to back, stretching their legs, working their chews. Faces are getting pretty tall, Estip said. Buddy could feel a voice in his back. Same thing's happening up Storm Creek, he said, pulling the sagging padding up to his knees. And Johnson's scratch done the same. Kurt, Buddy shouted. When did they make a core sample on this ridge? Hell's bells, I don't know, he said, trying to work in another wedge. Must have been sixty years ago, Estep said. Recollect your granddaddy shooting at him. Thought these Philadelphia lawyers. <laughs> yeah, but he laughed, remembering the tales. From near the opening, where the rest of the relay gathered for air, came a high-pitched laugh, and Buddy's muscles went tight. One of these days I'm gonna wring that fuller's neck, he said, spitting out the sweet tobacco juice. What he said still eating at ya? He ain't been worth a shit since he got that car. It's Sally, ain't it? Now let her go. Worthless. The group laughed again, and a voice said, Ask Buddy. Ask him what? Buddy shined his light along the row of dirty faces. Only Fuller's was wide with a grin. Is Sal going back to Horin? Fuller smiled. God damn you, Buddy said, but before he could get up, Estep hooked both his elbows in Buddy's and Fuller laughed at his struggle. Curtis scrambled back, grabbing Buddy's collar. I reckon you all rested enough, Curtis shouted, and when they heard coal rattling from the bin to the truck, they picked up their shovels and got into line. Buddy loosened up, giving in to Curtis and Estep. Tonight at Tiny's, he shouted at Fuller. Fuller laughed. Shut up, Curtis said. You and Estep work the face. Estep let go, and they crawled to the coal face and took up their short-handled spades. The face was already four feet high, and both men could stretch out from their knees, knocking sparkling chunks into the pile, pushing it back for the relay. Bet this whole damn ridge is a high seam. Make it worth more than ten swats a day. By God, Buddy said, and as he dug, wondered if the money would make Sally stay. Remembering Fuller, he hit the face harder, spraying coal splinters into the air. Estep stopped digging and ran a dirty sleeve across one eye. Buddy was coughing a raspy wheeze, flogging cold to his feet. Stop killing snakes, throwing stuff in my eyes. 
Buddy stopped digging. Estep's voice washed over his anger, leaving him small and cold in the glint of the coal face, yet bold and better than Estep or Fuller. Sorry, it's just I'm mad, he coughed. Get your chance tonight. Come on, piss off. One, two. Together they threw the relay back into the rhythm, added speed. The chink of spades and scrape of shovels slipped into their muscles until only the rumble of the returning truck could slow them. The scene grew where it should have faltered, and they hunkered to their feet, digging toward the thin grey line of ceiling. Get some picks, Buddy grinned. No, needs shoring yet. Curtis slipped through the relay to the face, his light showing through the dust in up-down streams. When he got down to them, they leaned against the side walls to give him room, and he stuck a pocket level to the ceiling, watching as the bubble rose toward the face. Knock off till Monday, he said. We ain't got the timbers for this here. As the men crawled out toward the bloom pile, a whisper of laughter seeped back through the mine to the face, and Buddy dropped to his belly to slink outside, unhurried. Even a clam crawl had winded him, and he waited by the chute for Estep and Curtis as the cold air dried his sweat, sealing the dirt to his skin. He could hear, beneath the whining low gears of the coal truck, the barking of a dog down in the hollow. He sat down hard and leaned against the chute. From the entrance to the hilltop was a world of twenty yards, the dead stalks of broom sedge rippling in the wind. Buddy figured the overburden of dirt could be moved in a month the coal harvested in less than a year. He knew Sally would not wait, was not sure he wanted her. He remembered a time when the price of her make-up and fancy habits would have fed his mother and sisters something besides the mauve bags of commodities the state handed out. Estep came out and Buddy offered him a smoke as they watched the truck shimmy under the bin levelling its load. Goddamn cherry-picker, Estep grunted towards the driver far down the hill. Gonna be lots more cherry, all that goddamned coal. But he looked to the western ridges where the sun set a cold strip of fire. Curtis came up behind them, smiling. I'm going home and get all drunked up. Last time I done that, Estep said, got me a new baby. Gonna watch old madman here so he don't tear up tinies. That's where I'll be by God, Buddy said, as if there might still be something to hold to. Just leave enough of Fuller to crawl in that dog hole on Monday, Curtis said, taking off his cap. Buddy stared at the lines of grey in his hair where the coal dust had not settled. 
I ain't making no promises, Buddy said as he started down the path toward the road. Pick you up about eight tonight, Estep yelled, watching Buddy wave his lunch bucket from the trail. Night rose up from the hollow, and as he came to the dusty access road, Buddy could feel the cold air washing up around him, making him cough. Patches of clouds gathered over the hollow, glowing pink. He turned onto the blacktop road, banging his lunchbox against his leg as he walked, and remembered hating Fuller as a boy because Fuller had called him a ridge runner. After twenty years of living in the hollow, he knew why Fuller hated him. He laughed again at the thought of the coal. He would have a car by fall, and a new trailer, maybe even a double wide. He tried to think of ways to get Curtis to give up dog-holing, and for a moment thought of asking Sally to go into Shellion with him to look at trailers, but remembered all her talk of leaving. Through the half-light he could make out the rotting tipple where his father was crushed only ten days before they shut it down, leaving the miners to scab work and DPA. The tipple crackled in the cold as the sun's heat left it, and on a pole beside it an unused transformer still hummed. No more coal, the engineers had said, but Buddy had always laughed at engineers, even when he was in an engineer company in the army. At the foot of the smouldering bone pile where the shale waste had been dumped, Estep's little boy stopped, searching. "'What you doing there, Andy?' "'Rocks,' the boy said. "'There's pictures on him. He handed Buddy a piece of shale. "'Fossils. All dead stuff. "'I'm collecting them. "'What do you want to save old dead stuff for?' he said handing the shale back. The boy looked down and shrugged. You get on home, here, Buddy said, watching as Andy disappeared down the secondary, leaving him to the hum of the transformer. He wondered why the boy looked so old. As he started back up the road, he could hear the dogs packing up, the howls echoing from the slopes, funneling through the empty tipple. The clouds had thickened, and Buddy felt the first fine drops of a misty rain soak through the dirt on his face. When the trees thinned, he saw his trailer, rust from the bolts already streaking the white paint of last summer. The dogs were just up the road, and he wondered if they could smell Lindy his blue-tick bitch, in the trailer. Sally sat by the window, looking, waiting, but he knew it was not for him. Lindy smiled at Sally, wagged at the sight of Buddy's footsteps from the bedroom and down the hall. Sally walked away from the door window and set the plates by the stove. Estep's stopping round eight, 
Buddy said, frowning at the turnips and beans beneath the potlids of supper. No meat? Sally said nothing, but took up a plate and dolloped out her food, leaving the side meat for Buddy. She watched him serve himself, and found herself staring at the freckles of black dust embedded in his face. A dog bark broke her stare, and she went to the table. She could hear them sniffing under the floor. They bother the hell out of me, she said when Buddy sat. Well, she stays in. I don't need no litter of mutts. Buddy mashed fat between his fork prongs, fishing the lean from the mess and watched Sally eat. There's gonna be money, Sal. Don't start up. There's always gonna, but there ain't never any. This time's for sure. Estep and me, we worked that stuff today. A D9 dozer and steam shovel that fixed us real quick. Kurt's got the deed knoll. Thought your folks settled these here ridges. He remembered standing in the sun at a funeral. He could not say whose, but the scent of Vitalis from his father's hands had turned his stomach, and his new shoes pinched his feet. Never had a pot to piss in, neither. Stick round, Sal. With a fork, Sally drew lazy curves in her bean soup and shook her head. Nah, I'm tired of living on talk. This ain't talk. What made you stay with me this long? Talk? Love? Love ain't talk. Whores talk. His hand flashed across the table, knocking her head askance, and she flushed. She got up slowly, put her plate in the sink, and walked down the hall to the bedroom. Buddy heard her turn on the TV, but the sound died down, leaving only the whimper of the dogs. He watched his plate turn cold, grease crusting the edges. Getting bourbon for his coffee, he sat his plate on the floor for the bitch and went to the window. With lamplight shining green in their eyes, the pack circled the trailer, talking, waiting. He turned off the lamp and looked for the first thing Sally stared after, but only the light grey sky and near-black ghost of the road touched the hollow. In the darkness, he found his thirty-thirty rifle and flashlight, opened the slatted window and poked them through. Passing over two strong-boned hounds, his beam landed on a ragged spitz and he fired into the marble lights, the shot singing through the washes and gullies. The dogs scattered into the brush beyond the road, leaving the thrashing spitz to die in the yard. Lindy paced the trailer's length to the sound of the whines, but when they stopped she settled on the couch, her tail flapping each time Buddy moved. 
The shot jerked Sally from her half-sleep, but she settled back again, watching the blue TV light play against the rusty flowers of ceiling leaks as the last grains of cocaine soaked into her head. She stretched, felt afloat in an ocean of blue light rippling around her body, and relaxed. She knew she was prettier than the girls in the Thunderball Club, or the girl on the TV, and lots more fun. Lots, she whispered over and over. Buddy's silhouette stood in the doorway. They won't be back, he said. Who? Sally sat up, letting the sheets slide away from her breasts. The dogs. Oh, yeah. You can't make any money at it, Sal. Too much free stuff floating round. Yeah? And all this money you're making's gonna keep me here. He turned back down the hall. Buddy, she said, and heard him stop. Come on. As he shed his shoes, she noticed the slope in his back more than usual, but in turning to her, his chest swelled when he unbuttoned his shirt. From where he stood, the whole light mixed with the TV, flashing her eyes white and pink as she moved in the blanket wave to make room for him. He climbed in, his cold hands stroking her waist, and she felt the little tremors in his muscles. She dragged a single finger down his spine to make him shiver. When you're leaving, Pretty soon, she said, pulling him closer. Estip honked his horn again, and Lindy danced by the door, howling. I'm coming, damn it, Buddy muttered, buttoning his shirt. The clock on the nightstand glowed ten after eight. Sally propped her pillow against the headboard and lit another cigarette. As she watched Buddy dress, her jaw tightened and she rolled ashes from the tip of her cigarette until the fire came to a point. See ya, she said as he started down the hall. Yeah, see ya, he answered, keeping the dog inside as he closed the door. Outside, the mist mingled with snow and the spits lay cold as the water beaded on its fur. Buddy left it to warn the pack and walked toward the clicking of Estep's engine and the soft clopping of wipers. Before he could open the door, a pain jabbed his lungs, but he held his breath against it, then tried to forget it in the blare of the car's radio. What do you know, madman? Estep said as Buddy climbed in, coughing. Answer me this. Why do you reckon Kurt wants props for? To show the damn face, dumb shit. And dog hole that goddamn scene, too. He's an old-time miner. He loves doing all that old-time shit. What are you driving at? 
How many you reckon would walk out if I's to dump the water Monday? Buddy, don't go call and strike. I got family. Come on, how many you reckon? Most, Estep said. Maybe not fuller. Buddy nodded. I'd say so too. You's talking weird, Kurt's kin. You can't go call and strike on your kin. I like Kurt fine, Buddy coughed. But I'm telling you, there's an easy way to run that call. Won't work, Buddy. Operation like that'd put everybody out of work. Sides, land ain't good for nothing after your strip. That land, he gagged, that land ain't no good no way. And we could so use work. We'd use everybody in our hole, and Storm Creek, and that piddlin' of Johnson's. Fair and equal. Know how much that'd be? Can't be much with all the fellers in the line. Try on fifty thou. Does it fit? He slapped Estep's arm. Well, does it? Where'd we get the machines? Borrow on the coal. Kurt's got the deed, just needs some new thinking put in his head, that's all. You with me? I reckon. They rode, watching the snow curve in toward the lights, melting on the windshield before the wiper struck it. Through the trees, Buddy could see the string of yellow light bulbs above the door and windows of tinies. Johnson found out who's stealing his coal, Estep said, letting the car slow up. Old man Cox. How's he know for sure? Drinked a chunk and put in a four-ten shell. Sealed her over with dust and glue. Jesus ate Christ. Oh, didn't hurt him none, just scared him, Estep said, guiding the car between chug holes in the parking lot. But he opened his door. Man alive, that's bad, he mumbled. Inside Tiny's, Buddy nodded and waved to friends through the smoke and laughter, but he did not see Fuller. He asked Tiny, but the one-eared man only shrugged, setting up two beers as Buddy peered. He walked to the pool table, placed his quarter beside four others, and returned to lean against the bar with Estep. Slope! Buddy yelled to one of Johnson's shots. Slop you too, Johnson smiled. Them quarters go fast. Fuller came in, walked to the bar and shook his head when Tiny came up. About time you got here, Buddy said. Sal's out yonder, wants to talk to you. What do you got? Carload of goons? See for yourself, Fuller waved toward the window. Sally sat with Lindy in the front seat of Fuller's car. Buddy followed Fuller outside, motioning for Sally to roll down the window, but she opened the door, letting Lindy out. You babysit for a while, she said. 
Fuller laughed as he started the car. Buddy bent to call Elindy, but she stayed by him. Straightening himself, Buddy looked after the car and saw his TV bobbing in the back seat. Come on, Estep said from behind him. Let's get drunked up and shoot pool. You're on, Buddy said, leading the dog into the bar. Buddy lay on the trailer's carpet, a little ball of rayon batting against his nostril as he breathed, and tried to remember how he got there. But Sally's smile and his mind jumbled him. He remembered being driven back by Estep, falling down in the parking lot, and hitting Fred Johnson but he did not know why. He stood up, shook himself, and leaned down the hall to the bathroom. The blood flow from his head and the shock of the light turned the room purple for a moment, and he ran water from the shower on his head to clear the veil. Looking into the mirror, he saw the imprints of the carpet pattern on his cheek, the poison hanging beneath his eyes. He wanted to throw up, but could not. Old dead stuff, he muttered and heaved dryly. Atop the commode sat a half-finished bourbon coke, and he tossed it down, waiting for it to settle or come up again. Leaning against the wall, he remembered the dog, called to her, but she did not come. He looked at his watch. It was 5.30. He went into the living room and opened the door. The wet snow was collecting in patches. He called Lindy, and she came to him from behind the trailer, a hound close behind her. He shut the door between the dogs and sat on the couch. Lindy hopped up beside him. Poor old girl, he said, patting her wet side. You're in for the works now. His knuckles were split and blood flaked from his fingers, but he could not feel any burning. Sal's gone. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Couple of months and we'll show her. Yes, we will. He saw himself in Charleston, in the club then taking Sally home in his new car. Hungry, old girl? Come on, I'll fix you up. In the kitchen, he looked for fresh meat to treat her, and finding none, opened a can of sardines. Watching her lap the mop, he poured himself a bourbon, and, feeling better, leaned against the counter. Sally's plate lay skinned with bean soup in the sink, and for a moment he missed her. He laughed to himself. He would show her. Lindy walked under the table and coughed up her sardines. Don't blame you a damn bit, he said, but in the royal of sardines and saliva, he saw himself cleaning it up, knew the smell would always be there. There was no reason he should have to clean up, no reason he could not have meat, 
or have anything he wanted. He took up his rifle, leaning where he had left it, and Lindy barked around his heels. No, he shouted, hanging her by the collar from his forefinger until he could shut the door. Outside the snow fell harder and in thick, wet lumps, making patterns in the darkness. The climb up the hill to the ridge behind the trailer stirred his lungs to bleeding, and he stopped to spit and breathe. Rested, he walked again in a quiet rhythm, with the rustle of snow on the dead leaves. In the brush by the trail, a bobcat crouched, waiting for the man to clump by, its muscles tight in the snow and mist. Claws unsheathed, it moved only slightly with the sounds of its steps until he was far up the trail, out of sight and hearing. The cat moved down the trail, stopping only to sniff the blood spit the man had left behind. By the time Buddy crested the ridge, he could feel the pain of trailer heat leave his head, and he stopped short of the salt blocks he had laid out last fall. He held in a breath to slow the wheezing, and when it stopped, sat on his old stump, watching the first mild light of the sky glow brown. He loaded his gun and watched a low trail in the brush, a trail he saw through outlines of snow in the ghost light. From the hollow, dog yelps carried to the ridge. The trail was empty. Behind him, something rattled in the leaves and he turned his head slightly, hearing the bones in his neck click. In the brown light, he made out the rotted ribs of an old log barn he had played in before they sold the land, moved to the hollow. Something scurried past it, ran away from him and up the ridge. From the baying of the dogs below, he was sure it was a fox. Between the clouds and hills hung the sun, moving fast enough to track, making the snow glisten on the branches. When he looked away from the sun, his eyes were drawn to the cool shadow of a deer standing against the yellow ribbon of sunlight. He moved slowly, lifting the gun to his face, aiming into the shadow, and before the noise splintered into the hollow, he saw a flash of movement. He ran to the place where the deer had stood, but there was no blood. He tracked the animal only ten yards to where it had fallen. It was a doe, with a pink lip of wound near her shoulder, but no blood. Working quickly, he split her hind tendons, threaded them with a stringer, and hoisted her from a low limb. He cut across the throat, and blood dripped into the snow. But as he ran the knife up the belly, something inside the carcass jolted, moved against the knife point. He kept cutting, and when the guts sagged out, a squirming lump fell at his feet. He kicked the unborn fawn aside, 
disconnected the doe's guts, sliced off her hindquarters and let the rest of the carcass fall for the scavengers to find. He lay three small slices of liver aside in the snow to cool. Warm doe blood burned his split knuckles and he washed them with snow, remembering why he had hit Fred Johnson for spiking old man Cox's coal. He began to laugh. He could see old man Cox screaming his head off. Shit, he laughed, shaking his head. He bit off a piece of the cool, raw liver, and as it juiced between his teeth, watched the final throes of the fawn in the steamy snow. He could not wait to dump the water at the mine tomorrow, and laughed as he imagined the look on Curtis's face. Strike, he muttered over and over. On a knoll in the ridge, run there by the dogs, the bobcat watched, waiting for the man to leave. <laughs>